Welcome to the Healing Circle podcast, where we talk about everything mental health, faith, and relationships. Though this show is hosted by a licensed therapist, that's me, Kobe, I am not your therapist. These amazing conversations are meant to provide psychoeducation and start some good conversation, but they're not meant to be a substitute for real therapy services. We're excited to learn, grow, and talk with you guys. So let's jump into today's episode. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Kobe. I'm Kyle. What it is, what it ain't. And welcome back to the Healing Circle podcast. We are so excited to be back talking with you guys, sharing with you guys, and healing with you guys. I'm excited to like honestly just jump right into what our subject is for today. Um, For those of you who don't know, season three is about reparenting ourselves, about identifying the things in our childhood or growing up that may have been normal or abnormal that now affect us in adulthood and um, walking with each other and the journey to giving ourselves what we didn't get. Yeah. Um, The hope is that when you see (laughs) the traumatized child inside yourself, you don't say what at least black folk have been saying for generations. Oh, just needs a whooping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Correct. All that all Correct. that crying itself will figure itself out. Wow. Yeah. Right and, after a good whooping. And here we are in our <laughs> late twenties, early thirties, figuring out that not a single tear has figured itself out. Right. Yeah, it's awkward how that happened. Mm-hmm. So today, guys, we are really excited to talk about emotional constriction. A Emotional constriction is not a common phrase, but I think it's a common experience. Mm. Um, So let me define what emotional constriction is and why it's something that we need to reparent ourselves um, in. So emotional constriction, also known as constricted affect, excuse me, is um, used to describe someone having a restricted intensity or range of the display of their emotions or feelings. Essentially, it means that the person holds back their emotions, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and doesn't display their emotions with complete intensity. So someone who experiences emotional constriction is not someone who is like, I feel nothing at all. They are people who feel deeply, but are strange from their emotions and can recognize when to be sad, but I would I would describe it as people who shed a tear when they should be weeping, mm. or people who just look sad when they should be like in Distraught. shambles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, how do we identify emotional constriction in our lives, or maybe even in the lives of the people that we love dearly? So, emotional constriction can be identified. Um, by these things, losing interest in important, once positive activities that you used to enjoy, feeling distant or detached from others, falling, uh, rather failing to access your feelings, feeling flat, both physically and emotionally, meaning like unmoving, not body types, <laughs> experiencing. Wow, not the not body types. <laughs> I felt like you were going to say something. They, I mean, I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, get back to your psychoeducation. I'm sorry, y'all. That was not Dang, appropriate. Bro, you a hater from way back. I'm sorry. That was not appropriate. There's nothing wrong with with any body type. Um, experiencing an inability to fully participate in life, having difficulty with experiencing positive feelings such as happiness and joy, um, and preferring isolation rather than being with others. I feel like that last one is just, you know... It's just par for the course for all of us. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like it's just a good way to to orient in the world. It's not. Preferring it's isolation. Not. And, you know, it's funny because I think that last one, preferring isolation rather than being with others, directly ties to feeling distant or detached from others. Because how do you empathize with someone's big sadness, big joy, big grief, big shame, big confusion, um, if you're not willing to feel it yourself, you know, um, and not even willing, because I don't want to make it seem like it's like, oh, you're just not willing and that's why you can't do it, because that's not the case. But if you're not able, whether on purpose or not, if you're not able to feel deeply, how can you connect to other people who are feeling deeply? You know, you can't. And so it may just feel really awkward and uncomfortable when people have big feelings. You may just be like, dang, it's not that deep. We all have that person who's like, it's, it's, it's genuinely not that deep. Well, you were that, you were my person. Who said it's not that deep? No. I oh, mean, I was about to say, you I were the, the person that I'm, I used to say in my head all the time. It's, it's not, not that, that deep. deep. Oh, yeah. That's part of why we had so much friction. Yes. We, uh, in the beginning of our wonderful relationship, just as friends. Yeah. It's just like, bro, like, that's a lot of feeling to do in one day. Like, spread it out across the year like a normal American. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that is why I say it's not a common um, phrase word. But it definitely is a common experience because the reality is all of us know somebody or are people who experience emotional constriction. Um, I think when I am around emotionally constricted people, I used to feel really frustrated because I used to think like, oh, you just, you think you're better than everybody else. You think you're more mature because you're not crying. You think you're, you're wiser because you're not shedding a tear. You think, you're, you know, I used to be that person, but I think over time, especially in my clinical work, I found that like in the quiet silence of, you know, confidential therapy, these are people who genuinely want to feel deeply, genuinely want to connect, but literally do not know how to, not just, not just with, with themselves, but also with other people. Like, it's not even like they're just pretending to not feel deeply, but when they see your big emotions, they don't even know how to feel deeply with their own big emotions. Yeah. And I think that is what give, has given me like a grace. Um, and I think that's why this is something that I really want to talk about. Cause there's so many people, especially in their relationship with God um, and in their intimate relationships with their partners, their spouses, they're trying really hard to connect because they know that that is foundational mm -hmm. um, and they just can't. And they're feeling the weight of the shame and the guilt of I'm trying like I am yeah. trying to give you what you need. I can't even give myself what I need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like everything we seem to talk about on this show um is it a show can we call it a show it's a show i'm just gonna speak this into existence we're gonna win an emmy one day oh 
Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, we're going to win an Emmy one you day. You said that on Wax, too. There's I did say it on Wax. They this, sure are. This. And and wow. when it happens, it may be in a year. It may be in 15 years. But when it does happen, we are going to come back to this episode. And I'm going to shout for the first time in my life. Oh, you're going to two-step and... and um. I will buck. <laughs> I will straight up buck and I will get an outre wig that is poorly clipped on so that it half slides off when I do. Wow. wow. I will buck. Cinch okay? up your girdle and get, get, <laughs> yes. get going. Like, like, cinch me up, cinch me up. <laughs> um, but like so many things. So, you know, I never really thought of uh, the way that I've walked through most of my life as emotional constriction that feels... I mean, I'm glad there's a name for it. I just thought that was, you know, being a guy. Mm. So <laughs> just being a dude. It's funny you say that. Men actually experience emotional constriction um, at a higher rate than women do. And also men experience PTSD at a lower rate than women. So women actually experience a diagnosis of PTSD at almost twice the rate of men. But here's the catch. I think it's because PTSD... You have to have the symptoms. You have to have an expression of that distress. Mm. And when you're emotionally constricted, you don't have that expression. And if you don't have that expression, you don't have these symptoms. If you don't have these symptoms, you don't get that diagnosis. Mm. And when you don't get the diagnosis, you do not get the care. And so it's this negative feedback wow. loop yeah. where it's like, if you just look at the numbers, it can be like, oh, men just don't experience PTSD more because they're resilient. And it's like... <laughs> No, they're not resilient. And and so for emotional constriction, one thing I, I really want to jump into is the idea that it's a sign of maturity in and out of church, that somehow this is a sign of maturity. And yet we open up the word and there's this God who feels deeply about everything. He's yeah. super happy. He's super sad. He's super angry. He's super excited. He's super joyous. He's super hopeful. He's he's yeah, super. You know what? There's not a whole lot of meh yeah. in scripture. Yeah. Like God's like, eh, I'll take it or leave it. Yeah. I'm cool. It's not that big a deal. If anything, the one thing that God like dislikes the most from what I've seen in scripture is the meh. Yeah. Is, is the that apathy. Yeah, yeah, the apathy. Like he's just like, you stopped caring. Because he's a God who feels extremely deeply. And you said something um, that made me think about like this phrase that people often talk about when it comes to showing emotions. Because I think emotional constriction often starts in childhood, um, especially for men. Yeah. Um, emotional constriction starts in childhood. And what we do is kids experience these super traumatic things, not all of them, but let's say a couple of kids experience a super traumatic thing, hypothetical. And instead of honoring the way that children express their emotion, because they don't have the socialization we have to express emotion. So they might start breaking stuff. They might start peeing the bed. They might yeah. start, you know, soiling themselves. They might start screaming randomly. They might get really defiant and they might get really angry. Like, we, we, one, get really angry at that. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, the kids are at higher risk for being re-traumatized because they're afraid that they're going to get wounded again. So what happens? They become really compliant. They swing to the other side, become super duper duper compliant. And when they become super compliant, what do we have the gall to say? Kids are really resilient. They'll get over it. 
<laughs> kids are really resilient. It's fine. They're good. And like kids are resilient, but not in the way that we think that they are. Mm. So I looked high and low for the study. And I promise you guys, when I find this study, it I will, if it's in a year, I will update the show notes for this episode. But there was a study done um, on long-term effects of childhood trauma. And there are these kids whose parents passed away. It was either in a fire or a massive shooting, but all of their parents died. So they take these kids and kind of put them in this like pseudo orphanage holding place because they they just have no caretakers at the time. They haven't been processed through the system. And the kids at first were super distraught. And then after literally a short amount of time, I don't even want to say full 24 hours, they were back to playing games. Back to building the trucks, back to building blocks, back to doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, they bring a psychologist in and the psychologist at the time is like, they're fine. They seem pretty well adjusted. They don't have any issues. They're, They're good. But a medical doctor was like, this is not possible. Yeah. Like, yes, externally, they look okay. They look like they're fine. They're doing the things they need to do. They're, they're engaging in all the social roles that children engage in Mm -hmm. so they decided to put heart monitors on the kids to monitor their heart rates every single child's heart rate was um i don't have the exact numbers but was at the level of them running full speed Mm, even when they were just sitting still at resting at resting state their heart rate was so high it was as if they were literally actively burning calories. Wow. Just resting state. And I think for people who are emotionally constricted from the outside, those of us who are looking from our vantage point, we can think these people are so chill because they continue going to work. They continue yeah. showing up as husbands, as wives. They keep excelling. They keep doing all the things they need to do. But internally, their bodies are screaming out the traumatic realities that they cannot speak with their own words. Looking yeah. calm is not the same as being at peace. You know? Yeah, yeah. I like. You know what? That's an coming to a, a hoodie near you. All oh right. Gosh. That's that. that <laughs> we copyright that. All right. We can put it on the merch. <laughs> um, no, that's yeah. That that is sad and and true. Um, so in retrospect, now I've always just thought people have always said I had an old soul. Yeah. I got that a lot growing up, eight, yeah. nine years old. Code oh, word for your extremely soul. pessimistic. Um, and we enjoy that your hope does not interrupt our pessimism as adults, but continue. Um, I got, I'm a realist. I got even keel a lot. Um, obedient. I got a lot of that. And I can remember even like there was a whole season in my life. Thank God I had a good, good parents. Um, mm. You know, they at least they... They they tried really hard and they did some some things right and some things wrong like all good parents, but um, after my childhood trauma, my parents weren't aware of it, mm-hmm. and in retrospect, they can look back and see the symptoms because hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but what started happening is I started acting out more, and then my dad would spank me because that was the way that they instilled discipline. And he noticed that I stopped crying. Mm. 
like he would spank me and he he's like i noticed you would like literally like i could see you deciding no matter what happened you were not going to shed a tear mm. and he said it scared him Should've. and so he and and um, thank god it did yeah. and so he stopped spanking me um, because he was like, clearly something is wrong. Like, <laughs> like I am not trying to wake up with a kid over my head with a knife. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, um, I decided, okay, I need to be soft with you because something is going on. And he didn't know what, but yeah. he knew something was wrong. But yeah. I can remember like growing up, like from the time I was probably seven or eight, Till my 20s, I may have cried once or twice. Yeah. I broke both of my toes in a football game. Um, I scored a touchdown. Yay, yay. And oh. uh, I was pushing the pile <laughs> and broke both of my, my big toes. Oh, Hopefully. my God. That's Very terrible. painful. I went back to the sideline, told coach, coach, I think I broke both my toes. Well, he cursed me out, called me all sorts of things. Wait, why um, did he curse you out? Because it's football, babe. He, so you were you broke your two big toes, mm-hmm. and you let him know you made him aware that your two big toes were broken, and he decided that at that moment the thing to do was to cuss you out. Uh, he called me a lot of um, a lot of uh, names, derogatory terms for women, and um, said that. I was weak-willed, you know, the normal stuff. Or maybe you don't know. I will All the men know, coach. all the normal really stuff. Um, it was just like, you know, this is, you're so soft, you're so weak. Like, mm. I bet your toes aren't even really broken. Like, if you don't have enough fight and you just say that, just say that. And I'm like, hey, bro, I got fight, all right? No, Kyle. <laughs> um, and so... He was like, well, you got to go out there because I was playing offense, defense. And you didn't teams, check your toes. That. No. Um, so he's like, you need to go back out there. Um, and I did. I got a tackle on the next play with two broken toes, ran down there, knocked somebody out. Because um, I used to, you know, I used to be good. And then um, I I got myself out of the game. I was like, I'm sorry, I just can't. And he he um, took my helmet away from me and said, only men were allowed to play football. So normal stuff man not very normal. very light no. conversation anybody that played football nope knows this nope. is just normal stuff but the next day found out i did in fact break both my toes and um my sister was driving me away from the orthopedics uh the is that the office whatever yeah it is. they did the x-ray and um i started crying not because i was in pain but i was crying because i wasn't going to be able to finish out my my junior season Mm. um and she was like she like pulled over and called my parents she's like kyle's crying i don't know what to do and they're like what is going on because she had never seen me cry in like 12 years and i had two broken toes and fractured a shoulder and all sorts of really painful things and never would never let the world see me cry and that's how they knew but like the idea in retrospect i'm like dang there are a lot of reasons to cry yeah. in 10 years. Yeah. And you, I never shed a tear. I can remember myself literally like like in my head being like, if you if you cry, then the world will know you can be hurt. Mm. 
And if they know you can be hurt, they'll hurt you. Yeah. What's crazy is you in that, like, one, thank you for sharing that. But in that that story, that retelling, you just covered so much that I was thinking about when I was preparing for this episode is that so talking about the men who are emotionally constricted specifically um, and kind of the more sociological things that that play into that societal things that play into that as well the reality is it's a really insidious negative feedback loop right because all those things, an old soul, mature, grown for your age, you can hang with us. Mm-hmm. All of that is code language that affirms you not feeling deeply, yeah. right? Because that goes back to their value of feeling deeply is for children, right? And so you're an old soul because you don't express how you feel. You're an old soul because you don't weep when you're when you're sad or when you feel sorrow. Yeah. Um, and then what happens if you do decide to start feeling deeply? Well, then your manhood's questioned mm-hmm. and your identity is questioned and you're belittled and you're berated and you're made fun of. So what happens, You the safest thing for you to do is to not feel, right? And so- it's so important for us to know and and recognize that what that cycle is that that cycle is um it's automatic yeah it's an automatic cycle where specifically men in this situation lose either way because emotional constriction is a protective way of preventing being re-traumatized. Yeah. Right. Because could you imagine having your heart broken and you already feel deeply and you're probably going to get made fun of for that, but then you get, and you're already in pain for that. Forget being made fun of. You're already in pain for that. And then you decide to express that pain. And now you're in pain because your heart's broken. And now you're in more pain because the way that you're expressing that pain is being scrutinized. And for many people, it's protective. It's, it's the emotional, flight it's the emotional freeze it's i'm already in pain and i won't i won't let the way i express this pain be scrutinized so i'll shut it down but like those kids who went on playing with their toys and building Mm -hmm. blocks there is a price that only you pay right their bodies were being taxed in a way that was not sustainable right that's why kids who um have traumatic situations and people who experience emotional constriction at higher rates for having asthma, for coronary heart disease, for depression, for diabetes, for stroke. Why? Because all of the things that are meant to be expressed, all of the things that are meant to be released, they're holding on to, and there's no way for them to metabolize all of that pain, though it has to be metabolized. And unfortunately for some people, the way it metabolizes by destroying their bodies. Yeah. It reminds me, um, I don't know how, I don't know if we've talked about this on the the podcast. I feel like we must have at some point, but I, I can't remember when. Um, but for a few years I was really sick. Um, am I sick? I mean, like doctors didn't know what was going on. I was yeah. passing out. It's really scary. Um, I, was I I couldn't eat. I couldn't remember things. I was starting to lose my memory at 
23, 24. Yeah. I can remember um, Colin Kobe, um, like dry heaving, crying her in the parking lot because I couldn't remember my um, my mom's name. And it wasn't that I couldn't remember that her name was Kathy. What's up, girl? Um, <laughs> but I couldn't remember what you called the woman who birthed you. I, yeah, you I didn't remember, remember the name mom. Yeah. Right? And like... It was it was really really bad, and I was throwing up constantly, all sorts of things, um, and I'm healed of that now. Mm. But I'm I'm healed of that because God healed me. Like the doctors didn't know what was going on. I was on medication that was kind of helping to mitigate some of it. Yeah. But it all came down to a prayer time where I was like, God, I don't know what is going on. What like why am I so sick? I'm losing. Like, I'm losing my mind at 24. I'm losing my body at 20, 23, 24. What the heck's going on? And the Lord spoke to me about as clearly as he's ever spoken. And he said, I have made your internal reality external. Mm. So you must deal with it. Mm. Yeah. And that was a lot of where your journey of healing started. Yeah. Like, there was an external reality that you could not deny. Um, you, you know, to go with the metaphor, you couldn't keep playing with the toys. Mm-hmm. You lost function of your arms and your legs and, and your entire body. Um, at one t- point, they thought you had narcolepsy and cataplexy. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you literally had just passed out behind the wheel driving. Like, yeah. you literally lost all ability to function normally and to remain in control. Um, and that, like you said, that's a lot of people's internal reality that's a lot of people's um everyday life Mm -hmm. is denying their emotions externally staying busy enough to not realize that there's a storm brewing in their souls and and i wouldn't have known yeah you know like outside of uh, god was really gracious to me it was a it was a horrible season but i get to look back and be gracious and be grateful because he he saved my life there's no way i could have kept all that Mm-hmm. inside and and kept living yeah. um and it forced me to go to therapy because there was so much going on in my world i was like okay i gotta try something yeah um and then and then god god healed it as i began to address my emotional pain yeah yeah and as i began to address my emotional pain my physical symptoms would change and then finally um you know we had a prayer time at my house and um everyone came and laid hands on me and I never had had a symptom again. Yeah. Um, threw all my pills down the drain. Right. But like, and so that's, that's wonderful. That's a miracle. But the reality is I was sick emotionally. Yeah. And, and I was married to a therapist and she could not convince me that I was not emotionally. Okay. Yeah. Like I really believed I was fine. Yeah. Mm, That right there, Kyle. I was I was gonna go somewhere else, but that right there, <laughs> that right there. So people who are friends with, partnered with, children of, have children who are emotionally constricted, it is really easy to feel like they are just being emotionally resistant and defiant. Mm. Tell me how you feel, and the, and they're gonna say, "I feel fine. I feel fine, right?" And then. You're like, no, but you don't feel fine. And here are the signs and here are the symptoms. And you you use a different tone when you said this. And mm-hmm. it can make you feel crazy because it can make you feel like they're intentionally withholding information from you. But I want to say that two things can be true. You can see the undeniable facts and evidence that they are not okay. 
And at the same time, they can truly still believe that they're okay in the midst of all that evidence. That is really, those are two truths that are really, really hard to hold in one hand, but they they can be, right? And I think a lot of people are, um, it, it speaks back to that that desire to be isolated. Yeah. When I was talking about the symptoms, it speaks back to that because many people want to be isolated because they're like, bro, I'm tired of people asking me if I'm okay. I am fine. Right. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Like I'm straight, chill. Stop asking me questions. But at the same time, it can also be hard to connect to other people because these people are constantly trying to tell you what you feel, what you think, and you can't identify with them. Even if you know that something's wrong, you can't identify with them. Mm-hmm. So it can just be easier to 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 be alone, right? And I wanted to jump to, when you're talking about your sickness, the reality that we are holistic human beings. Like, I don't know how else to say this. I get really frustrated when Christians think that the idea that our spirit and our mind is affected by our body, even though literally not a single person can extract each part of mm-hmm. that of our humanity some people are like oh it's new ageism it's mm-hmm. witchcraft it's and it's like what do you i don't understand um but it is so important for us to know that all parts of our body affect all parts of our mind and body and spirit like it's all it's all interconnected so there's a study done in 2019 i do have the link for the study um it's a single blind study. It was done um, in China and um, it talked about, and I think that this is transferable because I think a lot of Chinese culture of industrialism, work culture, sociological culture is very similar, though it is different, um, found that over 80% of all physicians' visits had to do with socio-emotional challenges, Right. Only 16% of people's symptoms could be solely based on their physical health, right? That's what happens when your stomach hurts all the time Mm -hmm. or your throat's always raw because there's always bile coming up randomly, Mm -hmm. right? All of the neurological receptors for emotions are in your brain except for anxiety, The vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It goes from the brain all the way to the gut. When you are anxious in your, when you feel that, that sickness in your stomach, oftentimes it's anxiety. Yeah. Right. And many of us can, can connect to the physical before the emotional. And that can be a great way that we begin to reparent, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But when we talk about people who are emotionally constricted at its core, we're talking about people who are afraid of being seen and known because at one point in their life, it was unsafe. And that point may not be a point they remember. Yeah. People who may be engaging in emotionally constricted behavior as a result of childhood trauma that happened pre-verbally, meaning they learned before they could even speak that they learned it wasn't safe to show emotion. And so they spent their entire life not showing emotion. And then when someone's like, oh, tell me when this started, their answer is going to be, I've always been like this. Yeah. Right? Not knowing that there was a version of them that was free at one point. There was a version of them that was expressive at one point. Um, and at its core, it's about staying safe. That is that, that, 
that right there, safety is the number one human need. Obviously, above like food and water and oxygen, mm-hmm. it's safety. Yeah. All things flow from whether we feel safe or not. And how many men in this world feel safe sharing their emotions? I think that uh, four, five, <laughs> 3.5. I think that one of the greatest disservices we've done, we've perpetuated on men in our greater culture is the idea that they should be prepared to carry emotions they've never been taught to express or get acquainted with. Hmm. Like you should be able to carry my sadness, but don't be sad and burden me and don't express sadness. Don't spend too much time with it, but make sure you know exactly how to carry it. Um, I think that's something I've seen a lot in my work and my work specifically with black men. Mm. It's like, everybody wants me to like deal with the, these emotions, but I have no, like, I have no clue what they look like. Yeah. <laughs> I have no clue what they feel. I haven't gotten acquainted with them. Um, and I think that's how it affects our relationships is it's hard to connect. Yeah. I know. I know early in our relationship and, you know, and later, um, <laughs> really through most of it. Um, you know, we had this really tough time of engaging because I had a working knowledge, like an intellectual knowledge that these emotions existed and I did have approximations for them. Mm. Like throughout life, you learn that there are some things you have to fake feel and you, you almost ask yourself, well, how would a normal person feel in response to this? Let me, put this tone on, let me put this face on, let me mm. use this phraseology. Yeah. And I'd spent most of my life just like chameleon mirroring, m- mirroring emotions. I, mm-hmm. I know I felt to some extent, but I knew that there was something, I knew that I had a limit on what I could actually feel. Yeah. So then I had to parrot what other people felt. Mm. And so then we got married and you wanted me. Yeah. And I was like, this is me. 20 different versions of other people that I've seen. <laughs> you know, like, you knew what this was so and you true. said yes to the ring. Like, why are you upset now? It's so true. Um, and she, but she, like, she wanted me. She's like, you don't even, you know, how do you really feel? And I'm like, I really feel like, meh. Like, what do you want me to say? I want you to tell me how you really feel. I really feel like I'm tired if you ask me how I really feel. That's about the only thing I really feel. Mm. Um, it was this huge. It was this huge thing because I felt like my approximations of emotion were real. They were the. They were all that I could really offer. And you were looking for something, you know, more authentic. Mm. And so I know it's really easy um, for emotionally constricted people to like have some genuine genuine like misunderstanding about how they're supposed to orient around their emotions and loneliness and loneliness and like because you constantly feel unseen you constantly feel like you're trying to be something else like as soon as you you know and and most people won't accept the real you yeah they won't accept the you that doesn't understand deep sadness or that doesn't feel something deeply and if you don't have someone to mirror you can feel really anxious yeah 
right? Because here you are with these big emotions stirring and you can get extremely confused and be like, what? Uh, I don't know how I feel. Well, I feel angry. I feel sad. And so one thing that is really interesting is people who experience emotional constriction, um, one, they're, they're trying to stay safe and they're mm-hmm. trying to hide a part of themselves that they believe is unsafe with the, the world outside of them, right? Um, they're actually prone to really angry outbursts. Oh, you don't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're, and not like regularly, mm-hmm. but kind of, it's outbursts that surprise even them. Yeah. Because it's almost like when someone starts ranting and they're like, I didn't even know I was that mad. I didn't even realize I was that angry. I'm really angry. I am really angry. I am really mad, you know? <laughs> and they kind of keep like repeating like, it. Hey, you know what? That really, Matter of fact. Yeah, right. That that really got me. That really made me angry. And there are people who, um, in my head, it's almost like trying to like keep an animal chained up in a room. Like if the animal's beating down the door, you can only keep them in the room for so long. You know, and so it's almost like there's like this, the the truest of authentic versions of themselves. I truly believe the truest versions of ourselves will always find their way to the surface, always yeah. find their way to the light, you know. And um, for them, so, sometimes that truest self appears most when they're angry, right? When there's something that is unjust that they feel like they need to speak up about, that's when that comes out. Um, well, anger is one of the few emotions that the world will let a man feel fully. Mm, I never thought about that. Yeah. I Not mean, from an early age, like, if anything, you're, people want you to harness your anger. It's kind of like, you um, know, it's most of sports. Very, very comfortable with anger. I had and, a client talk to me about that. Really? Yeah. yeah he, like, he had mentioned that... Um, you know, he, he played a sport professionally and he had mentioned that, like, he had a coach who constantly tried to, like, get anger out of him. And he's he's just a really sweet, sweet, gentle, mm-hmm. hilarious, you know, creative soul. And it was, like, I could feel his uncomfortability. Like, I actually don't naturally feel angry that much. And, like, I felt a sense of shame. Like, should I be more angry? Like, is mm-hmm. that supposed to be something I should be feeling more? he really wants me to be angry and he really wants that to be a source of motivation and that was something that we were processing it was like yeah i can remember people telling my brother as early as eight or nine years old like oh you don't you're not angry enough like that person hit you that person said something to you like and you just you want to pray for them because brent was really that person people be He's people always been like this, guys. People would beat Brent up and down the street um, and bully him. And he'd come home and be like, like I'm just going to pray for them. Like, because that was what was in him. And be like, bro, man, like, what you mean you're going to pray for him? Let's go get a brick. Obviously. A brick, Kyle? My daddy told me if they hit you with a stick, you hit them with a brick. They'll never hit you again. It's true. Wow. Listen, kids, if you're out there and you're looking for advice. Don't take that. Listen to Uncle Kyle. (laughs) Don't take that. Do not take that advice, please. (laughs) There's Um, grace for that. So at its core, you know, this can, the core of it can be different for everybody. The core of it can be different. Um, And I may have said this earlier, but I honestly don't remember and I don't want to not say it so here are some of the core causes of emotional constriction grief 
overwhelming stress, depression, physical abuse, mental or emotional abuse. How many people do we know feel safe expressing those experiences? Very few. Yeah. Very few. Emotional constriction is not something we can turn on or off. So not only does it limit our ability to feel deeply when things are difficult, really um, limits our ability to feel joy and excitement and love. Yeah. It takes that away from us. And I think that is where people feel the most lonely is when they're trying to like harness and hold on to this joy and this excitement, this sweet gift that's supposed to be sacred and savored and they can't do it because mm-hmm. they can't connect to anything. Yep. All that stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Like, you know, it, 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 um, it prompts a sense of like, Oh, this isn't an emotion I can, I can feel or express. There's yeah. a lot of people. Or emotions, period. Yeah. Like, this is a part of my humanity that I must, like, kill off, you know, with that I must suffocate, you know, with with darkness and, and loneliness. It makes me think a lot about how it affects people's relationship with God. Yeah. So much of faith is based off of what you expect. Mm, yeah. When I expected God to hate me, I ended up worshiping a God who I felt hated me. Wow. Didn't matter. I mean, some some of the theology was great. Some of the, th- the theology was poor. But I was expecting hate, and that's what I got. Um, and, like, you know, this emotional constriction puts people in a mind state where when they interact with God, they're expecting a God that wants them to be less human in order to be more with him. I want you to be less angry. I want you to be less vengeful. I want you to be less sinful. I just want you to be less. Be less, and then you can join my special club in heaven. Oh, right? my Which gosh. Is like and that's like not he didn't theology. create us human. Yeah. Um, instead of a God, which we see in Scripture— who seems to be very, very accommodating for humanity. It's kind of like the main theme of all of scripture of God Mm. being like, okay, this is not a great way for you to live, but I get it. I have grace for that. And more importantly, I have a plan. Like I'm going to redeem even this. Yeah. So I'm going to take Moses who sees something bad happening and becomes a murderer um, and, and kills because he, he has this human response. And I'm going to redeem that. And the guy that was killing for someone, um, you know, killing in order to make things right is now giving up his life in order to make things right. Right. Like that mm. is the redemptive arc. Every man and woman of God and faith, you can see something similar. You see this thing that starts um, one way and you see this redemptive image. And um, mm. obviously that's what God is inviting us into. Yeah. But I think, I think people who, who, experience this emotional constriction are people who are confused as to why they're never satisfied with God. Yeah. Like confused as to why they can shout and run and jump Mm -hmm. and, and pray fervently, but not feel moved. And they have no clue that they've like, you know, 
I think you told me this, but you said God's a gentleman. Like he's only going to allow himself into spaces that you invite him into. And how do you invite a God into a space that you don't even know that you don't even have the key to? Yeah. Right. And yet God is so kind and so gracious to sometimes help us realize that we're trying to get into a room that we don't have a key to through putting us in situations like yours or yeah. not even putting us, allowing situations that open our eyes to the reality that um, safe looks different now. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think there's a season, there are seasons where emotional constriction is survival and it really does, 100%. it does keep you safe, but you know, coping mechanisms are seasonal. When you think about, Someone who is going to wear a big, sturdy jacket in the mid- middle of a winter. Actually, um, a clinician gave me this example. Shout out to her. Like, in the winter, you're going to wear a big, sturdy jacket to protect you from the wind and the snow and the cold. But then what happens when the season changes? That same thing that was meant to protect you was going to give you a heat stroke. It's yeah. going to impair your ability to live freely. And I think for a lot of us, we are trying to take old coping mechanisms into new seasons the way someone else is trying to take a big, you know, snow jacket into the middle of North Carolina heat and summer. And we can't do that. And we're wondering yeah. why we're, we feel like we're dying. And we're wondering why we feel like nothing's working. We're wondering why we can't run as fast or move in the ways that we know God has called us to. You got to take that jacket off. We got to take those old ways off. We, we got to take those old coping mechanisms off and trust that God is giving us something else to cover us that is congruent with the season that we're in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, next week we're going to talk about how do you do that, right? Like, yeah. how do you step take out. the jacket off? Yeah, how do you step <laughs> out of emotional constriction and and step into, especially at this age, how do you step into emotional literacy and emotional awareness and emotional connectedness after turning your back on it for three decades? Yeah. How do you do that and not feel overwhelmed? How do you do that and not feel immense shame? How do you do that and not be reminded of why you hid in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> that last one. You look so stressed when I said that. Um, yeah, mm. no. Mm. So I, I know that the invitation um, from God and all of this isn't just, okay, like just recognize you're emotionally constrictive. Yeah, you'll right, figure thanks, it out. Bye. Yeah. I think the hope of every person is is the same hope of every believer that we would live our lives as witnesses rather than gossips as we would live our lives as as folks who have seen something and experienced something and know something and can like feel it and not just parrot what other people have seen not just gossip about what yeah. someone else said about what a good day looked like or gossip about what someone else said about what it, it's like to be sad or to be happy or to have joy. Mm. Um, I know that God wants us all to be witnesses, not only of his, um, of his magnificent love, right? Like firsthand account of like, no, yeah, he did some things for my, for my grandmama. Everybody got a grandmama that God came through for. Yeah. But like, what did he do for you? Tell me what he, what he did um, for you. And in the same way, emotionally, like 
so many of us have lived in this state of mind where we are gossiping about how we feel. We're telling a story someone else told. Yeah, mm. I feel really sad. We've never really, really experienced. We've never let ourselves feel it. Shoo. And I think the invitation um, for us next week as we, we learn to take that jacket off is let's, uh, let's let the sun shine on your actual skin mm. so you can know what it's like to be alive. Yeah. Woo. The lives that God has called us to requires full range of emotion. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Yeah. You need it all. You need the laughter. You need the weeping. Yeah. You need the rejoicing. You need the mourning. Yeah. You need it all. You need it all. All right, guys. We're so excited to talk to you guys next week. We can't wait to share some more actionable steps about how to deal with emotional constriction. I would love for you guys to shoot me a DM, a message, anything that helps us know if this is resonating with you guys, helps us know if this is something that um, connects us a personal relationship you have or even yourself. Um, feel free to rate, review, subscribe, all the good things. We can get the message out. <sighs> Until the circle comes back around. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked our conversation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so we can get the word of healing out to as many people as possible. Visit the show notes to stay up to date on our mental health workshops, yearly retreats, Oasis is bomb, and connect to us on social media. We'll chat with you guys soon until the circle comes back around. <laughs>